Hello, um, today we'll be talking about Alzheimer's disease mainly, but I'll also talk about other dementias. My name is Dima Fatal and I'm an associate professor at the University of Iowa. Um, I've trained in dementia um, and also balance problems and dizziness and I direct the balance disorders clinic. I have no disclosures, no financial relationships. Um, dementia, um, Alzheimer disease, AD, is the most common form of dementia. Alzheimer is a slowly progressive cognitive and behavioral um, uh, process that declines over time. It's a slowly progressive process with prominent memory dysfunction occurring early on. AD was initially described in 1901 by Dr. Alzheimer in a patient, and in 1911, he described in histologic detail the neurofibrillary tangles and neurotic plaques. Alzheimer is very common. In the U.S., it's estimated that at least 4.5 million persons have AD. And with this number being estimated to go up to 14 million by 2050 because of the aging population. So age is the main risk factor, but there are other factors. Genetics is the second most important factor. 25% of AD is familial. Um, and that means that a person would have two family members. 95 of AD is late onset and 5% is early onset, earlier than 60. Of the early onset, 60% is familial and 40% is sporadic. 10 to 15% of early onset, which is 2% of all AD, are autosomal dominant. Three genes have been identified, the APP on chromosome 21, presenilin 1 on chromosome 14, and presenilin 2 on chromosome 1. Um, other genetic factors have also been implicated. APOE4 is estimated to be associated with about 20% of AD. One allele increases the risk by 2 to 3 times, two alleles by 5 to 15 times. And it also shifts the onset of the disease by a decade earlier per allele. Yet, it's neither necessary nor sufficient and does not for the diagnosis and does not increase the diagnostic certainty. So it is not recommended for routine testing. Another newer marker is the so-called neuronal sortilin receptor um, and has variations. Um, it's associated with late onset. This website keeps up to date on all the newer genetic findings in Alzheimer. It's www.alzgene.org. Um, in addition to genetics, environmental influences also play a role, um, including early life exposures, such as diet, uh, physical exercise, and quote, cognitive exercise. I will be talking about the cognitive exercise a little more later. Um, early life modifiers um, have been found to include things such as head circumference in the first decade, general body growth through the second decade, socioeconomic status, environmental enrichment, and nutritional status. 
Additional early and midlife factors include head injury, obesity, insulin resistance, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and obstructive sleep apnea. All of these have been associated um, to increase the risk. Specifically also for diet, um, modest alcohol intake may lower the risk of Alzheimer and midlife diet that is high in unsaturated fats, fish, vegetables, fruits, and legumes is associated with lower risk two decades later, while saturated fats have been associated with a higher risk. However, this one study that looked into that only took one snapshot of the diet in midlife and then followed them later in life to check who developed Alzheimer. What they did not find in this study was a weighted effect. For example, in people who took little versus medium versus high amounts of saturated fats um, were looked into and that relationship was not followed by an increasingly um, more risk of develop AD as you eat more saturated fats. And same thing for the unsaturated fats. So it wasn't a, a clear linear relationship that worsened the more you took and improved the more you took of the unsaturated fats. But there was a suggestion that moderate amounts of unsaturated fats are helpful, moderate amounts of saturated fats are not. Um, high intake of vitamins such as C, E, B6, and B12 have been associated with lower risks, but when studied, other studies showed inconsistent results. Physical exercise um, has been associated with decreased risk of Alzheimer's disease. In the one particular study, they looked into um, people who exercised for at least 15 minutes three times a week, and that included things like walking, bicycling, jogging, etc. And they looked at the habits in midlife um, and then followed them later and found that this was associated with decreased risk down the line. The concept of cognitive exercise um, theoretically should work, um, and, but it has not been found to work. However, in patients who already have Alzheimer's disease in, in a recent meta-analysis found that it does um, help. And the, the cognitive exercise included things such as um, memory pads, um, uh, helping with the, uh, with the face uh, with pictures, uh, faces and names association exercises. Some were given by the caregivers and some more formally. Um, uh, this study, these studies actually uh, were all done um, for a few weeks only. And in a couple of studies that looked into them down the line found that the coat gain from these um, lasted four to five months. So um, the effect was a moderate effect on cognition. Um, so there was no um, side effects or drawbacks. They were all simple techniques um, and they helped. Um, social activities in midlife also seem to decrease the risk. It was a study from Sweden, very recent study. Um, and by the way, I have all the references at the end, or I should say the main references at the end. And if you have de uh, any questions about the details of these or the references, uh, you can um, let me know. And I have uh, at the end how to ask questions. 
All right, so for social activities in uh, midlife, this study was from Sweden, and it showed that it did, did decrease the risk um, years down the line in about 500 um, older uh, adults. Um, what they found is that people who were socially active and not neurotic and on their uh, personality um, scale, they were uh, not, uh, they did not have tendency for uh, uh, somatization, etc. Uh, um, uh, focusing on, I, um, I mean, they did not have tendency to focus on their own um, self or um, exaggerate symptoms, etc. They uh, did better down the line. Late life depression has been strongly associated with dementia, uh, whether it's a risk factor or a prodrome. Um, it it's unclear. Um, so um, an older person with depression should be screened for dementia. The pathology of AD is uh, well studied. Uh, there is neuronal loss that results in the atrophy that is seen on imaging. Uh, neurofibrinary tangles uh, correlate with the deficit, not much for the senile plaques. The pathophysiology is a presumed cl decreased clearance of the beta-amyloid protein isoforms in sporadic cases, but increased production of the A-beta in familial forms. Um, clinical history, it's an insidious onset of episodic memory impairment, often includes names of objects and names of persons. There's visual spatial dysfunction, getting lost um, or um, asking for uh, directions on how to get out of a Walmart or a bookstore or um, something like that. So it doesn't have to be Frank getting lost and going off to another city. Um, visual memory loss also, um, and examples of that would be misplacing and losing eyeglasses and keys, etc., which we all do here and there, but if it becomes consistent and worsening. Language, there's reduced spontaneous verbal output. Uh, some people have prominent anomia, difficulty with names, hesitancy, word finding, um, occasional um, errors, paraphasic errors, and the grammar and the syntax getting progressively less complex. Mid and later stages, you have executive dysfunction, agnosia, apraxia, and uh, neuropsychiatric problems such as apathy, depression, agitation, anxiety, and delusions. The exam, the neuro exam is mostly normal. They have may, may have some Parkinsonian features late, and that would be a differentiating feature, for example, from Parkinson's disease with dementia or um, dementia of Lewy body, uh, where by definition, the dementia and the Parkinsonian features should start within one year of each other. So that's an important differentiating point. Mental status exam um, is um, abnormal to memory. When we do, for example, the mini mental, they would not remember the three words that you give them. And if you give them clues or multiple choices, they will have no clue. Um, so they've lost them. Um, and that would be um, a potentially differentiating form from other types of dementias, such as, again, Parkinson or vascular dementia, where it's a so-called subcortical dementia, where if you give them multiple choices, they uh, that will help them to remember the, the words uh, that, they, um, that, that they were tested on. None, none of this is, uh, of course, hard or set in stone, but these are clues to tell you this is Alzheimer's versus other types. 
The diagnostic criteria, um, the um, widely used one is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh, DSM-4. It's an insidious and progressive decline in cognitive function, resulting in impairment of social or occupational function, impairment in recent memory, and then in at least one other deficit. So memory has to be involved in addition to one other function, language, praxia, um, the ability to uh, use objects, brush your teeth, comb your hair, um, agnosias, um, and executive function, uh, planning, abstract thinking, uh, etc. Neuropsychological tests uh, that are most affected is the memory uh, early on. By the end, everything is affected severely. Um, here, what I'm going to do is uh, go over a mini neuropsych testing, which you can actually practice and try to use if you want, um, if you're interested, in addition to the mini mental. So um, to test memory in, in a little bit more detail um, would be to give them a 10-word list, such as um, things that involve nature, clothes, furniture, food, um, body parts, etc. So you can tell them I'm going to read you a, ten, a, 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 a list of words and you read one uh, a second, for example, moon, farmer, nose, flower, etc. And then uh, at the end, uh, when you read your list, you ask them what words you remembered, and then they will tell you all the words they remembered out of that list in any order. And you repeat that four times. Again, they tell you all the words, even those they have mentioned before. And then you don't say anything, and you do other parts of the exam, and then you can come back 10 minutes later and ask them, what do you, re ask them, what do you remember of that initial word list? Uh, without reading it again. And typically with Alzheimer, they will have little of any recollection. Even if they've repeated several words on, of that 10 word list, by 10 minutes later, they would remember zero or one or two. So it's abnormal if they have less than seven on delayed recall. These are rough numbers. These are not formal neuropsych tests. But the beauty of this is that with Alzheimer, if you tell them was moon on the list, they they wouldn't know it. Their recognition if a word was or was not on the list would be chance, 50-50 chance, uh, versus uh, other types of dementia such as with Parkinson, vascular. They they may um, have a better recognition. So if you tell them was moon on the list, they would more likely to say yes. Was sun on the list, more likely to say no. For uh, visual memory, um, you give them a complex figure. You can draw whatever you want. I just jotted something here, but you can do whatever you want. Um, just something complex, abstract, uh, and uh, and they draw it, they copy it, because they can have visual-spatial problems, and so the copy itself will be abnormal. And then, again, a few minutes later, uh, you tell them, do you remember that abstract, weird figure that I asked you to um, draw? What do you remember out of it? And they, they, if they remember half of the elements or less than that is considered roughly speaking, defective. So so these would be interesting tools if you don't have a neuropsychological um, a neuropsychologist around you or if it takes a long time or if the patient does not have insurance. So you can maybe try those and they might 
help you differentiate this from, from other types of dementias. Other tests um, are attention, psychomotor speed, executive function, language. These are core tests that are needed to be tested in patients with Alzheimer. And usually um, uh, they tend to be less involved. They could be abnormal, but tend to be less abnormal as uh, compared to the memory problem early on. Um, on the other hand, things like uh, dementias, like frontotemporal dementia, will have prominent executive function. Dementias with uh, a subtype of frontotemporal uh, so-called primary non-fluent aphasias, progressive non-fluent aphasias, they will have a lot of language problems uh, involved. So you could, you could differentiate maybe the different types of dementias based on uh, these simple tests. So for attention, you give them uh, numbers and they have to repeat after you. Um, these are random numbers such as 27914 and they repeat 27914 and then you can give them six digits and seven digits and eight digits and nine digits and if they cannot um, recall uh, five or more then that would be uh, it's an immediate answering so it's, it's not a delayed recall so they have to immediately answer it's a working memory um, test then if they cannot repeat five digits or more, then that would be defective. And then backwards, you give them three numbers, 319, and they have to say 913. If they cannot do that, if they, um, they cannot do three, uh, four or more, or three or more, if they are less than three backwards, then they are abnormal. Um, psychomotor speed, um, trail making A and B, these are um, uh, uh, part of front, uh, tra trail B, um, and trail A, these are part of uh, front, frontal uh, functions, especially trail B, um, because you're shifting. So trail A, um, you have a paper which has all sorts of numbers uh, on it, um, and you tell them connect one to two, two to three, etc. And these are timed tests to see how quick they are. Uh, people with Parkinsonian problems or subcortical such as vascular dementia or uh, people with frontotemporal dementia where they have executive dysfunction, they will have problems with these tests and errors and they will be very slow. Um, the trail B is similar but you alternate between numbers and letters. So from 1 to A, A to 2, 2 to B, B to 3, 3 to C, etc. And language, there's a word fluency. You tell them, tell me all what you think about that you can buy from a supermarket or list all the animals that you can, you can think about in one minute and then you count how many animals they could list. Or you can tell them, tell me all the words that you can think about that start with the letter C for example, um, and abnormal would be if they list less than 10 per one minute. And then naming, you give them several objects to name. So again, obviously you don't have to do this, but I wanted to tell you a little bit about the neuropsych testing so it does not remain um, a little mystery. And then just in case a person cannot afford a neuropsych test, then maybe you can consider doing a little bit of that to differentiate the different types. And while we're at it, um, people with depression will have uh, memory problems and they may score low on, 
on the 10 word list that we just mentioned they may have attention problems if they're not sleeping well and they might be slow because of that but they should not have naming problems um, in a sense that uh, they um, agnosis yes, they don't recognize i shouldn't say naming but they shouldn't recognize they have difficulty recognizing objects they should not have apraxia so they should be able to know how to brush their teeth and comb their hair and put on a jacket and imitate bi bicycling and imitate whistling etc um, so so these could be differentiating uh, points between depression and dementia so the workup, um, you uh, do your uh, mini mental and uh, by definition has to be less than 27, doesn't mean that you have to treat it, but uh, 27 to 30 is considered normal. Um, you do your thyroid and vitamin B12 just because these uh, are easy to treat and um, could mimic uh, dementia. I've had one person one time in 10 years that had a TSH of 100 and she came to the dementia clinic. But other than that, um, uh, I think it's uh, rare in the dementia clinic to pick up a, a, a thyroid or a vitamin deficiency problem that is the cause. They could be concomitant um, um, and associated illnesses which need to be treated, but they're not likely to be the primary reason. And then, of course, you screen for depression. Um, imaging, um, a CT or an MRI, non-contrast, is what the Academy recommends. And it's basically to rule out significant vascular disease to see if there, if there is vascular dementia or concomitant vascular dementia. And while we're at it, I want to say that it, it really um, is um, um, is hard to say this is Alzheimer, this is vascular. A lot of patients most likely have both if they have one uh, or the other. So um, the treatment is pretty much similar. You control the stroke risk factors and you treat for, for the dementia component. Um, so it's not a huge um, issue. Um, however, with vascular, if they have a lot of white matter disease, they may have a concomitant gait problem and they may need gait training or fall risk prevention, etc. You also want to see that the ventricles are not too huge uh, to look for um, MPH, uh, normal pressure hydrocephalus. But for that, the gait should be prominently abnormal. If a person walks very, very well, um, they turn well, they walk well, they're not, they're not falling, they swing their arms, and they're not shuffling their uh, feet and dragging their feet on the ground. You even if they have a little big ventricles, you can just observe them. You you you. Um, you, you don't have to refer, but if you want, of course, you can do that. But, uh, but the key is it's unlikely that a neurosurgeon would want to shunt a person with a normal gait. Um, tumors, um, I've had one person who was uh, found to have a, a glioblastoma uh, came to the dementia clinic. Um, the think about that, that that person might have had both because he presented with symptoms of five years of memory problems um, and um, and the imaging showed a glioblastoma, which life expectancy in an older person or life expectancy in general is definitely less than two years. So um, investigational biomarker, but, but it changes, I mean, changes prognosis and uh, so it, it should be done. This is why imaging is recommended as a screen. 
And there are investigational biomarkers. Uh, they are investigational at this stage, although some neurologists, some behavioral neurologists are using them. Um, it's a CSF tau increase and CSF uh, beta amyloid 142 decrease and combined the sensitivity and the specificity um, approaches 80 to 90%. Um, but at this stage, they are still recommended as investigational. Maybe down the line, shortly down the line, they will be more available. Investigational neuroimaging is with the PET scanning with the, what's called the Pittsburgh compound B, PIB. Um, and again, it's at this stage investigational. Um, currently, there is a study in Harvard looking into that. The differential diagnosis, we've, we've already talked a little bit about that. Um, and when we talked about the neuropsych, mini neuropsych testing and, and the workup and the imaging. Uh, so vascular dementia, there's a lot of overlap. So you treat basically, as my, as I mentioned, the same. So it's not too, uh, maybe too, too, too important to, to, to differentiate between those, but it's important to image. Um, depression. Neuropsychological testing can be abnormal on memory and attention, but they should not be abnormal on apraxia, as mentioned, or agnosia or aphasia. So they should not have uh, language problems in the sense of uh, non-fluent, abnormal repetition, uh, abnormal comprehension, agnosia, they don't recognize objects, or apraxia, they don't know how to use objects. Um, depression, as mentioned, maybe the prodrome for dementia or increases the risk to develop dementia, so it needs to follow these people, obviously. Uh, front to temporary dementia, there's only early personality change. Uh, the family members would say this person is not the same person. Uh, they will have early executive dysfunction, the trail B. Um, they um, will have fluency problems, uh, such as uh, the supermarket that, uh, list in one minute, etc. Um, if in doubt, you're not sure if this is frontotemporal or Alzheimer and you don't have a neurologist or a dementia clinic around, uh, you might uh, try um, the same treatment, although there is, um, uh, there is definitely evidence that it does not help in frontotemporal dementia and it may even cause some agitation, the, the choline esterase inhibitors that we use for Alzheimer, but you're not going to, no one uh, is faulted at trying uh, uh, and then if the person does worse you can stop the medications. Uh, dementia of Lewy body um, as mentioned the dementia by definition has to start within one year of the Parkinsonian features or vice versa so they have to start within one year of each other and you treat as if you have two conditions, you treat the Parkinsonian features with Parkinson medicines and you treat the dementia uh, with Alzheimer medicines. In summary, um, for the differential, you need to image, you need to check for thyroid and B12, but you can potentially try the same treatment for now. For now, maybe down the line, we'll have the CSF uh, studies, the PET studies that could differentiate. And if we down the line get better treatments such as um, uh, vaccination or um, the, clo uh, the monoclonal or polyclonal um, antibodies, the IVIG, then maybe it will become important to differentiate between these two, these different types of dementias. So for treatment is the choline esterase inhibitors. Um, there's um, a general guideline that you want to treat uh, when the mini-mental is between 10 and 20 and stop it if the mini-mental less than 10. In general, for Alzheimer, the mini-mental drops by 2 to 3 points on average per year. 
for uh, um, for donapazole, it is also approved for severe, but in general, you may want to stop the choline esterase inhibitors once you are below 10 on the mini mantle. But when to start it, um, 20 plus, um, and the plus is variable. And the reason is that the effect of these uh, medications uh, may, according to uh, expert opinion, may last a few years, two to few years, maybe two to five years. So if a person, for example, is planning to retire and they want to be, but, but not immediately, and they want to work a couple more years, um, so you may want to, to give them that medicine now, even though they may have uh, 24 or 25 or 26 mini mental. So you give them a little more benefit so they can do their job a little better, potentially. And, uh, and then once they retire, if the medicine is not working anymore, you can stop it. And we'll talk about that a little more uh, later. Um, on the other hand, if a person is retired, then uh, and their mini mental is 26 and they're functioning okay on their day-to-day is -day, they're not bothered then you may want to wait and give it a little later so you can give them a little boost when they are worse so these are very general guidelines about when to use but i will tell you also a uh, little more about actually uh, what benefit are we getting from these medications so the, the choline esterase inhibitors that we have are denepazole galantamine, and rivastigmine. And these are the doses that you start with and the maximum doses. And there's a patch for rivastigmine. There's no difference um, that we could tell from the different ones. Um, and there are a couple of studies that compared a couple directly and there was no difference. So basically they're all the same. Dunapazole is once daily, the others are twice the daily. This is why you will find a lot of people are on Dunapazole Aricept more than the others. Uh, the um, But occasionally a person may not tolerate one and then you switch to the other one. I'm not at all um, advocating one versus the other. The um, the newer drug on the market is Nemanda, Mimantine, and it's an NMDA receptor antagonist, and it's indicated by the FDA for moderate to severe. And uh, in Europe, the indication is for a mini-mental less than 20. Um, here, it's variable, um, but the VA, for example, uses a mini-mental um, less than 14. It, you start with five, you increase by five every week until your maximum 10 twice a day. Okay, so all the choline esterase inhibitors have similar efficacy. The side effects mainly are GI um, and some insomnia, vivid dreams, leg cramps, and bradycardia, so you want to get an EKG. Uh, indications mild to moderate. Dunapazole also has an FDA indication for severe. These medications are actually recommended as the standard therapy by the American Academy of Neurology. And the effect may last, as mentioned, two to five years. So you may want to delay their use, as, I'm, as we already talked about in the example of a patient who's functioning okay, retired, and, uh, and, um, and not bothered on a day-to-day -day at the moment. So you can delay their use. Mementine, that's the dose again. The trials suggest improvement in cognition and behavior and activities of daily living. It's indicated for moderate to severe. 
Um, you can add, there's added benefit if you combine it with the cholinesterase inhibitor and the side effects were actually similar to placebo. So it's well tolerated. Okay, now I'm going to raise an important point. There has been recently um, uh, uh, in 08, a couple of articles about cholinesterase inhibitors as a group, including with memantine too, um, controversy around their use and if it is cost, um, is it, is it uh, co uh, cost effective? Um, everyone agrees whether you're for treatment with these medications or against treatment. And I have to say, as I mentioned already, that the Academy recommends these as standard of care. Uh, but I want you to be also aware that all the sites um, and all the studies show that the benefits are small. And um, on a 70-point scale, the difference was less than four points. And the four point is an arbitrary set uh, number that the FDA put as a standard for clinical relevance. So, so really it is minimal, it's a small effect. Uh, and we're giving these medications uh, potentially for a few years and they are expensive. Um, more importantly, for behavioral and quality of life effects, recent meta-analyses have found that they are, not only they're not very well studied, their results are less consistent than the effect on cognition. The limitations of all these studies is that they were short duration. Alzheimer, when you diagnose it, it's a decade or so long disease. Likely the disease is few years, if not more. So maybe it's a two decade or, or more illness. And the studies looked at a snap of six months and they found a small benefit. There's poor reporting of side effects in the studies, and there's lack of definition of clinical relevance. As we mentioned, less than four points, a one or a two point on a 70-point scale. What is the clinical significance of that? The, 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 the point that I'm raising this for is to stress to you that if a person does not afford, cannot afford it or cannot tolerate it, it's not the end of the world. They work minimal. They work for a short time at any rate. Okay. And it's may, although it is standard from the academy, we should attempt to give them because that's, that's the standard. There are good people who are raising good questions about that. Um, and I think that that is important because, um, maybe, maybe studies should not be, um, be, um, um, financed by uh, pharmaceutical companies. But that's also a point that neurologists, some neurologists are raising these days. You know, it's not only neurology, but in, uh, probably in other uh, fields too, that uh, maybe the, these studies should be independently done. At any rate, um, having said that, there are some things that we can do that seem to also potentially help, um, maybe a little bit. They have not been compared with medications, but um, but they also help and we should not ignore them. Um, exercise, um, as we talked about, um, sincere primary care, um, and emphasizing the importance of exercise uh, early on in life and midlife uh, and even later in life. That can um, decrease the risk of Alzheimer. Um, another is the concept of cognitive exercise in people who already have Alzheimer. 
studies have showed good results and uh, and we do have at the University of Iowa um, a cognitive uh, rehab but we, but um, but I'm not saying we're the only ones obviously um, and um, and these uh, uh, things might be be done by occupational therapy in conjunction with speech and physical therapy for exercise etc so so these might be uh, might be useful important practical easy cheap um, and uh, maybe over, um, um, maybe ignored, maybe ignored and, and underused, and, and medications um, uh, maybe sometimes overused. A treatment of behavioral problems, uh, depression, um, is con um, uh, SSRI are considered, the SSRIs are considered the first line since the tricyclics have anticholinergic side effects. And there was one study for citalopram that uh, th found that may help with agitation. Otherwise, the SSRIs only help with the depression symptoms or the depressive symptoms rather than with um, psychosis, etc. Anxiety, again, can, SSRIs can be used and it's recommended to avoid the, ben, the benzodiazepines. Uh, for sleep disturbances, mirtazapine has been uh, recommended. For psychosis, hallucination, agitation, and aggression. Um, olanzapine, risperidone have been found to uh, help. However, there's a black box warning about them that they increase the risk of stroke. Um, but I, um, I I don't want to be talking on behalf of the psychiatry um, uh, psychiatrist and and the psychiatry uh, body, but they um, I, my understanding is that they keep using these medications in in their demented psychotic uh, patients. Um, um, their uh, Alzheimer medications themselves, uh, the cholinesterase inhibitors, may help with some of these symptoms, agitation, aggression, etc. Um, the studies that looked into those showed mixed results. Uh, many were negative. Uh, the two studies that looked into memantine were negative and the two that looked into rivastigmine were negative. Uh, but some of the studies uh, for galantamine and donapazole were positive. So uh, you might want to try those for, for such symptoms, even if you didn't mean to, to try them for the dementia itself. Um, there, uh, there are interesting investigational treatments that are going on, including at the University of Iowa um, in the psychiatry department. Um, the the A-beta immunotherapy is ongoing uh, with the polyclonal or monoclonal or active vaccination. There's the secretase inhibitors studies and the um, amyloid anti-aggregation with direct uh, A-beta binding or uh, uh, inhibitors of advanced glycation. So, so there are... Um, interesting, exciting um, potential treatments and maybe down the line um, diagnosing Alzheimer's disease um, correctly and early on uh, would become a more important issue. Um, driving is a big deal and recently, just a few days ago, um, published ahead of uh, time published on, on the um, internet is the practice parameters from the Academy of Neurology um, and I'm proud to say that Dr. Rizzo is at the University of Iowa. Um, and um, the, uh, the recommendation is to use the Clinician Dementia Rating Scale, the CDR, and I have a slide of that for you to use. Um, as well as caregiver information. Uh, what the, what the uh, parameter recommendation is that don't depend on what the patients tell you. If they tell you they're safe driving, uh, the, the, it doesn't mean that they are safe drivers. 
And interestingly, the neuropsychological test, there are no, there's no enough evidence to say that uh, we can rely on it and that it can predict who's safe to drive and who's not safe to drive. So what do we do? What we do is this, this is the clinical dementia rating, the CDR scale for your uh, information. And there's the full re uh, reference down there. Um, okay, so this is the gist of it. If a person has mild to moderate um, dementia with a CDR 0 0.5 to 1, what you do is you evaluate the risk factors. If the caregiver reports marginal or unsafe skills, then uh, uh, that's one. Uh, you ask about history of citations, history of crashes, driving less than 60 miles per week, situational avoidance, aggression and impulsivity in their behavior anyway, a mini mental less than 24 and other issues like alcoholism, sleep disorders, etc. So if you have a CDR of 0 0.5 or 1 and you have no risk factors, they're relatively low risk to drive. If they have multiple risk factors if, uh, of these listed, even if they have mild dementia, they would be relatively high risk. And if they are severely affected with a CDR of 2, they are already high risk. So it's a useful algorithm to use. And these are the main references uh, that I used. And if you have any questions, please email the Iowa Geriatric Education Center. And I hope um, um, I um, raised some issues uh, about treatment. Um, and uh, hopefully these issues will be looked into uh, down the line with studies that uh, uh, that uh, take um, that take um, that evaluate patients for a longer period of time and evidence um, emphasis on prevention more uh, with diet and exercise uh, uh, early on and emphasis on um, some cognitive training later on and thank you very much.